electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. It is a big tech earnings kickoff. Microsoft and Alphabet headlining tonight's results, but they are not the only ones on the move. We are dialed in on conference calls. We'll bring you all the headlines. And striking out, General Motors hit by another round of work stoppages the same day it reports earnings. Just how much are the strikes hitting production? And what do they mean for the company's bottom line? Plus, 100% dead wrong. Those are the harsh words Jamie Dimon had about central bank policy, what the CEO of the country's biggest bank is taking issue with, and where he sees the economy going now. And later, personal finance expert Susie Orman will be here on set for advice on where to put your money in this volatile market and how you should navigate a world where rates are staying higher for longer. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Bono and Eisen, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Julie Beal. And we start off with a full slate of earnings reports. Microsoft, Alphabet, Visa, Snap, all on the move after their latest results. We've got full team coverage. Deidre Bosa, Kate Rooney, Julia Borson, all standing by. But we start off with Steve Kovac, who's got all the details from Microsoft's quarter. The stock is higher right now, Steve. The conference call is still in about a half an hour. What are the highlights? Here? Yeah, so Microsoft shares are up. There's solid beats on the top and bottom lines. But here's what's more important. Reversing some trends that we've seen over the last several quarters. Azure cloud growth accelerating again, up 20 also versus the 26% growth the street was looking for. That's exactly what investors wanted to see after several quarters of declining growth. Now, what to listen for in the earnings call? Does Satya Nadella believe Azure bottomed and will continue that acceleration or it that we saw last quarter, or is it just going to uh, stall again? Now, look, let's go to Windows. This is also interesting. OEM revenue was up 4%, returning to growth. But keep in mind, comps are much easier compared to last year. And I'll say it before the folks here at the desk can say it, wait for that earnings call starting at 530. That's when Microsoft gives some outlook for the quarter. And you should especially listen for commentary on demand for Copilot. That's the AI assistant. Microsoft's going to start selling a week from tomorrow. I'll be back right here, guys, with more if we get uh, some of those details on the call. And we were just discussing the wrinkle of the conference call because last quarter we did see the stock move lower. On Copilot. On Copilot after the show when the company finally gave guidance because this is going to be the key. If Microsoft gained a lot this year on the hopes on that AI pixie dust that we've been talking about, we want to hear that because there's a lot of talk about the installed base, you know, adopting its AI uh, you know, programs. Listen, in that last it. quarter, in that last piece of guidance back in July came at a time where they just announced the pricing of Copilot, right? right. And so next week they're going to have an event, they're going to be talking about this, and they're going to basically start to be able to start to guide to this when customers start paying for it, right? And so that's what I think a lot of investors want to hear. Also, if you think about the high that it made, the all-time high, the day that it announced the pricing of that Copilot, we all remarked the stock went up 5% in a straight line intraday. We were doing the math. I think it was like $70 billion in market cap or something like that. It was some uh, like iPod 
popping sort of number. But when you look at the situation here, the stock had sold off 15% to its lows in August after that earnings report. It's recovered a little bit. It's up here. We're waiting for the guidance. There's a lot of levers here, and I'm sure you, you're, you're going to be carrying fairly constructive, maybe not at 30 times right here, but they just closed this Activision deal. If they have reacceleration in Azure, I don't mean to sound like really excited about this. I'm just kind of amped up. I'm just it's in just general. That's kind of me. Um, but I think if you're a bull, you, there's a lot of things you could point to, especially if the guidance is not disappointing, why right. this should be back on the horse. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I agree with everything Dan said. There's a lot to like here. That reacceleration, uh, that's a really good thing. And we'll get to Alphabet, but contrasting that they didn't have that reacceleration, slower growth. I mean, th- there's a lot to like. The whole question is, though, what is the right multiple? What are you paying for? How much of a premium should they get? Certainly, they should get a market premium. I mean, it's an extraordinary business, and the margins are just phenomenal. But um, where are we in the pixie dust growth? Um, at 30 times, it doesn't seem crazy to me. I have a very small position right now. wish I had more. But uh, unless we hear something very different, there's a lot to like here. Well, especially if they're showing reacceleration relative to some of their competitors uh, and the cloud business model. And maybe it really deserves even much more of a premium in this sort of environment where you want safety, you want execution. Uh, I, I tend to agree. I think it's tough to push for a higher multiple here. I mean, I, I, at the 30, 31 times, I think it's what it trades. I think there's been quite a bit of pull forward in terms of expectations around generative AI. And so I think if they're able to deliver on that front along with Azure, it it's, it's definitely will sustain the multiple. But I don't really see more than one or two turns of upside, perhaps three turns. And conversely, there's probably eight to 10 turns of downside. So if you look back three, four years, this thing was trading at 19, 20, 21 times. So I think it's about finding that balance there. With that said, I think expectations are relatively high, even though it did have some weakness since it peaked out in July. I think the setup was uh, set up for it to be a bit constructive. But the facts are they delivered. And I think, you know, 30 times, it's really hard to argue selling it when they are actually delivering. Yeah, I mean, the stock setup was actually very constructive. It's been sort of range bound since that July report, Julie. It was, you know, between 310 and 330. It's finally broken out with this after hours pop. But what would you like to hear on the conference call? Well, I mean, I think part of the reason why we traded sideways is that I think everyone kind of looked around and was like, okay, wait, when is this AI stuff really going to take shape? And I think any kind of early indication that having AI within their cloud offering makes the business stickier is going to give people a lot more confidence that there's durability to these earnings. And in this level of kind of uncertain times, People are willing to pay for that. I think where the stock is trading today, this richness of this multiple and even this reaction after hours is a function of the fact that a lot of businesses so far that have been reporting haven't been executing quite as well. And particularly once you have some dampened expectations, that really is what moves the stock higher. You know, it's like when you have kids, you got to have low expectations. It's kind of the same thing with stocks sometimes. Yeah, the one thing I'd say, though, when we think about the guidance that's going to come out here, we really want to focus on kind of enterprise customers and demand for these products. There was an article in the Information Today saying OpenAI's corporate sales come under pressure as AI customers hire cheaper options. Okay, so these are corporate customers. These are going to be the ones who are going to basically be buying these co-pilot sort of service added on to their Microsoft 365 that they're already paying for. OpenAI, obviously, Microsoft's invested $13 billion in it. They have the access that they're integrating this technology into their productivity suites. They're going to integrate it into Bing and all that sort of stuff. So I guess when you think about it from a corporate standpoint, we spent a lot of time talking about a consumer that might or might not be weakening. And now we think about, okay, what does enterprise spending look like from here on out? If we do 
have a weakening economy. We talked about it last week. I think Microsoft laid off 700 people in their LinkedIn division. LinkedIn is not growing. It is basically flat. And we know what the headwinds are in advertising-based models and such. So, again, I, you know, stock's up 4% or whatever. It could easily be down 4%, you know, in an hour and a half or so. And it doesn't really change the story. It's just the expectations, I think, still remain high, despite the stock is down 10% from those highs in July, um, believe it or not, because 30 is a multiple with rates where they are right now, where lots of growth investors are starting to kind of just say, is this, if this is going to be a harder 2024, right, how am I set up with some of these big names that are very crowded right now? And we, you know, I mean, they are crowded. Make no mistake about it. Yeah. Again, Microsoft's calling about 25 minutes time. Meantime, let's move on to Alphabet. After hours lows right now, despite top and bottom line beats, the search giant seeing a rebound in advertising, but cloud numbers were below expectations. CNBC's Deidre Bosa has got the numbers. Debo. Hey, Matt. Well, speaking of high expectations and a crowded trade, that is Google. So expectations were high for Alphabet, and you can see that the stock is down nearly 7% in the after hours. Now, the analyst call just kicked off about 35 minutes ago. Senator Pichai opened it by reflecting on the last 25 years. That's a milestone that they just hit in September and spent a lot of his remarks looking ahead to the, quote, opportunities enabled by AI. There were some good updated stats on YouTube. Shorts is now averaging 70 billion daily views. There are 150 million plus people watching YouTube on TV screens every month. That's a so-called living room segment. Also, a shout out to NFL Sunday Ticket that they said is helping to drive engagement and subscription growth. Google Cloud, though, Mel mentioned this, fell short of the street's expectations. CFO Ruth Porat telling me that it was affected by some customer cost optimization in the third quarter, which could temper expectations ahead of Amazon for its cloud unit, uh, reporting later this week. Porat also reiterated that they continue to invest in generative AI while keeping an eye on costs and efficiency. Q3 CapEx was $8 billion, she said, driven overwhelmingly by AI compute. So on that comment, it also seems that the stock took another leg lower. And analysts, before I jumped on TV, just asked about the monetization of that AI drive. I know you guys were just talking about it. Um, The team at Google said that a subscription model was one possibility, but they also said that generative AI's effect on search is still going to boost and keep their ad business strong. Back to you. All right, Debo, thanks. Keep us posted. Deidre Bosa on Alphabet. Uh, Karen, what do you make of these earnings? Uh, Slight disappointment. I mean, the the search part was good, right? Uh, There's still growth there, so that was good. But the cloud part, which has really been sort of of outside focus versus its size, that was disappointing. The margin there was disappointing, particularly in light of, as you just said, Microsoft showing Mm -hmm. pretty, pretty good cloud growth. So that's a little bit disappointing. Some of the other kind of noisy things that made the beat were things that I kind of don't care about. Um, so, you know, Google bets, stuff like that. Um, so it was it was OK. It's it's a different multiple, obviously, yeah. than Microsoft. So, um, you know, I kind of let it shake out a little. I'm, I'm fine. It's a big position for me. A very big position. So uh, mildly disappointed, but I'm not going to I'm not going to sell. There's nothing terribly wrong here. I, I didn't agree. If anything, I'd rather be buying on weakness. Now, I understand that we wanted to see better results from the cloud, but the fact of the matter is these companies came out last quarter and said that enterprise customers were looking at ways to kind of make their spin a bit more efficient. So we got a bit of a lead here. So I, I do understand, particularly looking at the tale of two clouds, they didn't deliver nearly in the way that Microsoft did. With that said, I still think ad spin is definitely a positive sign because on one hand, you're worried about uh, enterprise. On the other hand, you're worried about ad. And to see that tick back up gives me some hope 
for the economy and, and for other platforms. And the last thing I'll say is this reminds me a bit of Meta. Not exactly the same, but when Meta got kind of smacked around for spending all that money on the metaverse and we didn't really know how they were going to monetize it, I think there's, we're seeing some of that in terms of the, uh, the infrastructure spend on gener- generative AI. But I really have, if there's some company that I don't have doubts about their ability to deliver on that front, it likely is Alphabet. And I'd probably be buying on weekends. You mentioned here. ads, and uh, Meta, and I would think that on the ad beats for Alphabet, that Meta would be okay in the after-hour session. It's down by about a percent, Julie. And I'm wondering, you know, how do you how do you look at Alphabet right now, and and how are you feeling about Meta next later I, I this think, week? Yeah, I mean, I think I think for the long-term investors, I think Alphabet is such a really great place to be. You know, generative AI is really in their backyard in terms of where it started. Uh, and I think that they are being thoughtful about how they expand it. And I, you know, I, I think that in the over the long term, this is still a very strong, strong business. The biggest problem that this company faces is really more on the regulatory side than anywhere else. It has just such a level, strong level of profitability and cash flow, and I think that was very encouraging to see. For sure, it's a little disappointing to see that you know the margins, particularly on the cloud business, were not exactly where you would want them. But it's also kind of what you would expect given the level of investment that they have to make to support that infrastructure. So I think, for, I agree that you know this business it really lives and dies on its ad business. The cloud can sometimes you know be helpful or hurtful. But it's more important to gauge the strength of, of advertisers, and I think that we've seen that. For Meta, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, too. I'm really curious about what's going on with Threads and how that's impacting their business, because uh, I think that's a place that they have an opportunity. It's interesting. So if we're going to like just trade these names like in the last three months, you know, when Amazon reported AWS uh, last July, right, it like or it was early August, I think like the deceleration wasn't as great as people expected. The stock popped on better than expected retail. OK. And then, you know, Microsoft sold off because the, there was, you know, and, and then this one now is down 7 percent after this had a big gap. Remember last quarter? Because, um, you know, it was better than expected. I think we just have to these hyperscalers. They're all this is it. Like there's no one else. I mean, Oracle's going to try. IBM's going to try try. Some of these others are going to try. This is this is what you have to play with. And, and I think that if each quarter you're going to trade them because one takes two percent of share from the other, this and whatever, that, that's I don't think that's how you trade this thing. And I think just to put this point and you guys both made this. Google Alphabet has the best valuation support right here. We expected like 20 percent EPS growth next year and double digit sales growth. And again, if their margins are expected to decline, you know, year over year a bit, that is what they're telling you, because the cost of compute to integrate this generative AI into like all of their whether it's their productivity tools, whether it be search or whatever it is. So I, I think you have the valuation support here that you don't have in Microsoft. And I actually would probably rather bet on Google able to iterate and, and really, um, you know, do a better job over like and really commercialized products better than Microsoft would. Because I don't know about you guys, like Microsoft's not the product that you want to go home with and, and use it on your they don't have personal devices for the most part. They don't have all this other stuff. And Google is so ingrained in all of our online behavior here. And then you think about their ability to do it and YouTube and all these other things. So to me, I think that, you know, Google, if it goes back and fills in that gap towards 122 is where it was last July when it reported. I think it's an easy buy right there. All right. For more on Alphabet and Microsoft earnings, let's bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster of Deepwater Asset Management. Gene, good to see you. Is Microsoft's quarter as good as a stock pop? Is Alphabet's quarter as bad as a stock decline? Well, I'll start with Google. I think investors should just take a deep breath. Uh, we've put a lot of pressure on that uh, uh, Google Cloud number. The deceleration, understand that that's caught people's attention from 28% to 23%, while Azure uh, had that step up in growth from 26 to 29%. 
But the deep breath piece of this is just looking at the aggregate of what is in front of Google over the next decade. They essentially have, are losing share in cloud right now in part because of Microsoft is optimizing OpenAI on Azure. And so they are gaining uh, uh, usage because of that. Google's answer to OpenAI is their new Gemini platform. That is, uh, Sundar was talking about it on the call here the past 35 minutes. And that's their new, uh, essentially, that's their answer to OpenAI. As that gets integrated, it'll start in the December quarter and further new models, they said, will be announced in 2024. Microsoft will announce new models too. But I think that this uh, scale will tip back towards uh, Google or more uh, level uh, playing field between Google and Azure and we'll see a reacceleration. But most importantly, the reason why I think investors should ultimately view what's going on at Google as positive is they are investing more, but they're doing it judiciously. They are saying that Ruth Parada is saying that they're going to grow uh, earnings faster than expenses. And if, if I if this plays out in terms of how search is going to be impacted by AI, we're just at the very beginning of this. And I just want to fill in the final thought here, Melissa, in terms of why search is important relative to AI is what Google wants to do is take what you use Google for today. That is for information, navigation and commerce and add on to that uh, basically generative features. Uh, and so as they add that, you're gonna go to Google more over time and there's more opportunities for them to monetize search. And so big picture here, the Google story is intact. I haven't even talked about Microsoft because I'm just so surprised at Google's reaction here. Gene, it's Karen, thanks for being on. So how do you think about the valuation of Google here and what penalty or what do you put on the the uh, contra side for the DOJ uh, lawsuit. So I'm in Dan's camp. He was just outlining, uh, you know, the valuation uh, perspective here. I think it's uh, at, at the top of the most attractive. That's why at Deepwater we own uh, shares of Google. It is, I think, the most attractive and probably the best position relative to the opportunity in AI. So, uh, Karen, I think that the, the valuation is attractive. Uh, second, in terms of just what's going on with uh, you know this uh, the risk related to regulation, is uh, this catches headlines. It's uh, important topic, but ultimately I don't think much is going to change. And don't have the time to go through uh, the game theory in terms of how this most recent piece is going to change relative to their ability to bid on uh, placement within like Safari, for example. Uh, but I, I think that that it, I don't think it's going to. I think it will play out to be ultimately a net neutral for Google. And so these headlines will pass. And I think uh, ultimately investors are going to focus on what matters most with Google, which is why they have a pole position with what's going to be a decade uh, uh, shift towards AI. Real quick, Gene, on Microsoft, because we didn't touch on that at all. It, does the quarter so far, I mean, we haven't gotten to the conference call, but does the quarter, at least in your view, put a floor under the valuation where it is now? I think it does. I think that uh, there's reason for optimism. Microsoft is going to be the first beneficiary of AI. We've seen it with their Azure business in the September quarter. We're going to see it when they start to turn on the, the monthlies for uh, adding Copilot, which is going to be in the middle of November. And so I think that uh, directionally, analysts are going to find the addition sign on their keyboard tonight when it comes to estimates for 2024. Gene, thanks. Keep us posted on anything you're hearing on uh, on either of the calls here. Will do. Thanks a lot, Gene. See you later. Um, okay, Dan. <laughs> Microsoft or Alphabet? Uh, Alphabet, easily. You? I bet. I mean, my book's that way. Alphabet, yes, yeah. Alphabet. Ditto. Julie. Uh, Alphabet for sure. 
Wow. Clean sweep. All right, so uh, what should they sure. do? Go Microsoft. buy Microsoft. Microsoft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, sorry, <laughs> anyway, we'll keep you posted on all these conference calls. In the meantime, coming up, we've got more after hours action here. Shares of Visa and Snap on the move after their reports and numbers from those quarters. Next, plus Jamie Dimon's harsh words for the Fed as the chaos in Washington gets even more dramatic. What it all means for the markets and the economy. Don't go anywhere. Much more fast money in two. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got even more earnings to get to tonight. Snap back in the green after a sharp reversal after its results. We'll get to that in just a minute. But first, Visa beating on the top of the bottom lines, upping its dividend. Kate Rooney's got the very latest from that conference call. Kate. Hey, Melissa. So Visa executives have been talking about a strong consumer, strong consumer spending, and then travel demand as the big drivers of the better-than-expected quarter. The payments giant announcing a 16% dividend increase and a $25 billion buyback. Payments volume was up 9%. For the quarter, revenue up 11 percent. That was stronger than expected. Cross-border volume up 16 percent. Those are the higher margin international transactions for Visa. CEO Ryan McInerney saying that we have, quote, seen a resilient consumer spending and ongoing recovery of cross-border travel spending. He also just said there is still macro uncertainty, but I am confident we can manage it. That was on the call just now. American Express used that same adjective, guys, resilient. we got MasterCard. Coming up, they report on Thursday. This was Visa's fiscal fourth quarter, so the company did give full-year revenue guidance. They are looking for high single-digit to low double-digit revenue growth there. No EPS guidance, but shares are slightly higher here after hours. Back to you. All right, Kate. Thanks, Kate Rooney. And I'm glad Kate mentioned American Express and made that comparison. We're getting very different reads, though, when you look at a Discover Financial, for instance. Capital and Financial is going to report later. And, and obviously, they're in different parts of the, the payment chain, so to speak, yeah. but still a read on the consumer. Well, listen, Brian Moynihan, CEO of Bank America, on their call last week, I'm going to read it. The growth rate, to put it in context, is consistent. He's talking about consumers, 16, 17, 18, 19, low growth, low inflation economy. Consumer activity has slowed down. This is real-time data. That's what Brian Moynihan said on their call you know, on the 14th. So I just think that there's a lot of, you know, contrasting data. But most of the data actually points to a decelerating consumer right now at a time where we're starting to feel the lags of these interest rates. You know, we've never seen rates go this high, this fast. And you're seeing it. We started hearing this from the department stores, right, over the summer. They're starting to see higher delinquencies. We're starting to hear about auto delinquencies and stuff like that. So to me, I just don't know how you can paint too rosy of a picture right now based on what Visa has to say. Yeah. 
I don't think those two things have to be mutually exclusive, so I tend to agree. Definitely a decelerating consumer, auto, particularly on the EV side, they've come out and said it. I think those, those more expensive, durable goods, but when you're talking about international travel, that really has been one of the pockets. Now, I do understand that there is a storm coming, but that seems to be the bellwether, at least some stability, an area of stability within the consumer complex. So I think, yeah, you probably don't want to be over leveraged to the consumer. But if you're still constructing a balanced portfolio and you want some of that consumer exposure, you likely want to be higher up and you want to have that exposure to travel, leisure and international uh, specifically. So there's a lot of noise here, right? We've got, you would think Visa with billions of transactions would have outstanding data. You would right. think Bank America with millions and millions cards. of customers mm -hmm. and cards would have outstanding data. And yet they're kind of painting a little bit different picture. The, the cross-border is interesting to me. Um, you know, one of the things that's hurt luxury, which I own, is that the travel, international travel is down. And uh, that's a big part of their business. And so a name like Estee Lauder, same thing as well. So I'm sort of, it's very noisy. I don't know what to make of it. I wonder, why would Visa be sort of a free pass to not be optimistic, right? Right. So why? 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 To yeah, you must feel very good. So I don't know what to do about the noise. It, it, it's, it's difficult. But, you know, I'm long consumer stuff. I'm staying long some of it. But uh, it's a challenging time. All right, let's get to Snap now. The social stock all over the place after hours as much, um, up as much as 20% after hours, down as much as 7%. It's now up by 3.7%. Julia Borson's been combing through this report. Julia, what's the latest here? Well, Melissa, Snap beat on the top and bottom line and announced a half a billion dollar share buyback. The key thing here is that the company reported an unexpected profit rather than the loss that analysts anticipated. It also reported a 5% jump in revenue rather than the 2% decline that analysts were expecting. They attributed this reversal to its growth trend, return to growth, to improvements of its ad platform, a growing direct response ad business, and also new subscription revenue. Now, the stock did first jump on those beats and a better-than-expected revenue guidance, but then it declined. It's now up about 3.5% again, but that dip might be because Snap cautioned about uncertainty in the fourth quarter, saying that the Hamas-Israel war caused some brand advertisers to pause campaigns, estimating that adjusted EBITDA will be between uh, $65 and $105 million versus the consensus of $103 million, saying, quote, we continue to observe new pauses and the risk that these pauses could persist or increase in magnitude remains. Now, Snap's call starts in about five minutes. So, Melissa, I'm sure we'll learn more then. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson. Dan, you've traded this around. Yeah. So that revenue be, might be, I mean, at Twitter's expense. I mean, it might not be that, you know, so what they had to say about Q3 ads and they've kind of like rationalized some costs and we know that they've been causing costs aggressively over the last year and they've had consecutive quarters of very disappointing results or so. But we also know that if, you know, their revenue was up 5% largely drawn by ads, they did mention some subscriptions. We know that on the flip side of that, Twitter's is probably down 50 or 60% percent year over year. So if advertisers are seeing better success, right, like through a platform like Snap, then that's where they're going to shift some incremental dollars away from that sort of platform. So to me, I, you know, this is good news. Um, they talk about an earnings beat. Uh, um, that's an adjusted on a gap basis. They're still losing a lot of money. So I don't think that does a whole heck of a lot for them. But this is probably at a $16 billion enterprise value. To me, I think it's a very cheap asset. If you think at some point over the next year that the ad business that they've spent a lot of time trying to get right, right, and, and then trying to compete better. They're not growing users right now, but if they can better monetize the users that they have, 
then this is a cheap asset, in my opinion. All right. There's a, a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. 100% dead wrong. Jamie Dimon sounding off on central banks. What he says they've missed and how it affects the market after this. Plus, the auto strikes are growing. And now, GM's largest plant is feeling the pressure. The latest on negotiations and just how much worse this can get for automakers. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on the House Speaker race. The Republicans' third nominee dropping out of contention in just the last hour. Emily Wilkins has got the details. Emily. Hey, Melissa. Well, yes, Tom Emmer, you know, he was nominated by his colleagues in noon, and by the time 4.15 rolled around, he had already dropped out. Now, we knew that Emmer had some work to do. We knew that about 26 of his Republican colleagues said that they did not plan to vote for him on the floor. But the real death knell came when former President Donald Trump posted on Truth Social, criticizing Emmer, questioning his Republican and conservative credentials, and suggesting that folks should not vote for him. And that really kind of sealed the deal against him. came in, uh, told Republicans that he wanted to be a team player and that he was bowing out of the race. Looking forward, we're going to be having yet another candidate form, just like the one we had last night. Uh, We already know a couple folks are planning to run again. Mike Johnson, who's the conference vice chair, got the second most votes this morning. Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma. We're also beginning to hear that Mark Green, who's the chairman for the Homeland Security Committee, could be getting into the race at this point. And of course, once the candidate form happens, then they're going to have to vote again on a new nominee. And then once again, it is a race to see if that person can get to 217. Melissa, at this point, I think the question is, can anyone get to 217? Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Emily, thank you. Emily Wilkins, this comes on a day where J.P. Morgan CEO ripped into central banks, Jamie Dimon, saying policymakers were 100 percent dead wrong 18 months ago in that no matter what they do with rates, he could be cautious into next year. This, of course, just a week ahead of the Fed's next interest rate decision. Of course, all of this factors into one big delicious stew in terms of uncertainty and where rates are going. Julie Beal, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, like, his comments, it, it makes sense to me, right? You know, I think many people were really being concerned about inflation, not 18 months ago, but really two years ago. I think in September of last year, or, you know, in 21, I was starting to be very, very concerned that it wasn't going to be transitory. Remember the word? So I, I think his point is is well taken, and I agree. The point that he made was that, you know, the difference between another 25 basis points here and there is nothing. And I agree with that. I don't think it really matters. I think what anyone really cares about is just how long we're going to be at these levels, particularly as we're looking at refinancing U.S. debt and also kind of the wall of refinancing on the corporate side that we're going to start seeing in 24, 25, 26. I think that's his biggest concern. And so I think that's what he's talking about when he says, you know, there's heightened risk going into 2024. 
as I say, hindsight is twenty twenty. I think it's kind of easy to, to, to beat up on the Fed. Yes, they were wrong. Um, and on one hand, I think they need to be accountable for that. On the other hand, they have been steadfast in their fight against inflation. And so uh, it's fine to kind of, you know, hold their feet to the fire a bit here. They did get it wrong. Their projections, projections are often wrong. But are you going to be humble enough and agile enough to kind of change course once you receive new data? And I just think the bar needs to be, what decisions are you making with the information that you have at the time? And I and I will say they got this dead wrong, but they did a hard pivot. And I think that's very tough to do. So I just think we kind of need to like weigh it with both the left and the right hand and kind of see the, the picture in, it, in its entirety. Uh, the last thing is, I mean, I don't know if anyone can model out the effects of COVID, a global pandemic. I think those things are a bit tough. Um, and, and, and Six Sigma events. So again, I, I don't want to give them a pass, but I do kind of want to make sure that there's like a holistic approach in terms of judging performance. Coming up, new developments in the United Auto Workers strike. GM feeling the pressure as thousands of workers walk off the line at its largest plant. The impact in the latest negotiations in two and wondering how to navigate this rising interest rate environment. Personal finance expert Susie Orman is here in the house to help you make the right decisions. Her advice ahead. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks are rising as earnings season gets underway. The Dow jumping more than 200 points. The S&P up seven-tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq leading the gains up nearly one percent. Take a look at some of this morning's earnings movers. Coca-Cola bubbling higher after the soda maker raised its full-year outlook as volumes grew despite price hikes. GE also jumping the industrial giant upping guidance, too, and saying it is set to spin out its power business in the second quarter of next year. And Verizon having its best day since 2008. The company beating estimates and adding more more customers than expected. Still, it is down 13% this year. Take a look at Bitcoin continuing its rally, the cryptocurrency trading as high as $35,000 as optimism over spot ETF grows. Bitcoin prices have doubled so far this year. Meantime, the UAW is expanding its strike against GM General Motors today, stopping all work at the company's plant in Arlington, Texas. The move coming just hours after GM posted better than expected third quarter earnings, though it pulled its full year guidance due to mounting costs associated with the strike. So with work stoppages now crossing the 40 day mark, when could costs for the auto industry become too much to bear? Philip Bowe's got the very latest. It sounds like if we're not at that point, it's going to be soon. I think before you said 42 percent of GM's production is now shut down. Forty two percent. And they and this was a big hit today, Melissa, Mm -hmm. because what the UAW did was essentially say, what's your best plan? What's your most profitable plan? You know what? We're taking it down. And that's what the UAW did today at the GM plant in Arlington, Texas. How important is this plant? By the way, has about 5,000 UAW workers. This is where they build large SUVs. Think of the Escalade. Think of the Suburban. Big ticket vehicles. That's why it's the most profitable plant for General Motors. And again, 20% of its U.S. production. Now, if you look at all of the UAW strikes around the country, you're looking at well over 40, eight final assembly plants, 43% of the big three's U.S. production, just the U.S., 43% of the big three's U.S. production has now been stopped by a UAW strike. If you take a look at shares of General Motors since the strike started on September 15th, a couple of things to keep in mind. The strike since the beginning has already cost GM $800 million. As you mentioned, Melissa, they have pulled down their guidance for the full year due to the cost uncertainty. They don't know how much more it's going to cost. They thought $200 million a week. That was before the uh, Arlington plant was brought down by the UAW. 
They have responded today by saying, look, we think we can get a deal done. We want to get a deal done. But in the meantime, we've got to run a business. And running the business means laying off people if there's not going to be work for them to do. So today, General Motors laid off an additional 139 workers at a plant in Ohio. It has now laid off more than 2,400 workers since the strike began at six facilities around the country. Again, because there's not work that's coming from those plants where a strike is taking place. Quickly take a look at shares of Ford and GM. Two notes here. Ford reports after the bell on Thursday. Not sure if that means that we will hear the UAW on Friday say, you know, you had great earnings, we're going to take out a plant, or we hear nothing at all from the UAW. And also with regard to Stellantis, yesterday, the UAW said, we're going to take down your Sterling Heights plant, the one that makes the Ram 1500 just outside of Detroit. Well, now you have more layoffs, and these are from uh, Stellantis, 525 additional workers laid off today. By the way, Melissa, these layoffs now totals more than 7,000. I mean, it's, it's becoming substantial that the big three are saying, look, if we don't have the work here, we're not going to continue paying people in certain positions. Do these people now get paid out of a strike fund? And does that fund run out no. at some point? I'm just, no, they're not getting no. any, any sort of pay. Well, so I mean, look, ones- look, they can, they, there has been discussion about do they appeal to the UAW and say, look, I was laid off. Can I appeal to the strike fund? Um, typically what happens, it goes into the state unemployment laws, depending on where the plant is at. And that will be the, uh, you know, the determination about whether or not, you know, how much you get on a, on a weekly basis. All right. Uh, Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. Karen, you are officially, Mm -hmm. as of today, Uh, out. Half yesterday, half today. Um, I just, you know, fatigue is probably the main thing, but there's a lot not to like here. This strike, obviously, but that I do think that will pass. These things almost always pass. The only way I can think of is air traffic controllers, but that'll pass. But in the meantime, this has suffered for a long time of not getting a multiple for earnings, right? At four times. The only way they'll get a multiple for earnings is if they earn, they miss those earnings. Then they'll get a big multiple, however much the miss is. So, um, and and we were talking about this in the break. The put the the EV rollout seems to be perennially pushed off. Yes. And so, how to value the business? What's the ice worth uh, versus what's that EV that's further and further out at higher rates? Um, I don't know. So all those together, I'm done. Yeah. And the cost just continued to grow. As Phil had mentioned, it cost $800 million so far, the cost of the strike, $200 million a week. But with this latest plant, it's going to be more than that a week. So, you know, that's that's what the analyst points have been. Their costs are only growing at this point. Um, We do want to get to some headlines that we're getting from the Microsoft call. The CEO saying they have over one million paid GitHub co-pilot users. More than 37,000 organizations are subscribed, and over 18,000 organizations use Azure OpenAI service. Uh, we are seeing the stock uh, still hang on to that almost 4% gain in the after-hour session. We're up 13 minutes into the conference call. We will keep you posted on that front. Meantime, coming up, it's been a volatile time for the markets. How should you navigate these moves? Personal finance expert Susie Orman is here in the house with her read on the economy and your money. That's just moments away. And later, another check on big tech will bring you more headlines from the Alphabet and Microsoft earnings calls. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money, a new reality check for consumers. Bank rate reporting interest rates on retail store credit cards hitting an all-time high, a hair under 30%. 
So how much more can consumers withstand in this rising rate environment? Let's bring in personal finance expert Susie Orman. Susie hosts the Women and Money podcast as a co-founder of Emergency Saving Startup Secure Save. Susie, it is an honor to have you here oh, on the Fast Money set. It's fantastic to see you after all this time. I know, my friends, I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> you are back. And, you know, people think about you and they think about personal finance advice. You're really almost like a fast money trader, too, because you've got a whole stock portfolio, which we'll get into. But for consumers, they're really strapped these days. Um, you know, affordability for homes is at a record uh, low. They've got the credit card debt. How should we think about rates and how you can take advantage of, of rates right now? Listen, the only good thing about these high interest rates are putting money into treasuries. Um, I, I think last time I was on told you that the majority of my money, that kind of money, was going into three and six month treasuries because I did think interest rates were going to continue up. And now I think the play may start to be in long-term treasuries. So I've started to dip my toe in. Every time the 30-year crosses 5%, I buy. Every time. And it's done it like twice, I think, now. Now it's back down to 4.8. Right? Because when interest rates eventually do go down, I don't know when that will happen. 1% move down. It's a 20% interest, a 20% capital gain in that stock, in the bond. So I can play a bond even more now than a stock in a certain level. But I don't know when the top of this bond market is going to be. But I'll let it show it to me. Mm -hmm. Susie, there are few people in this country who have a better pulse of, uh, of the U.S. consumer mm -hmm. and, and what they want to do is with their excess savings and the like. How do you think about, so to your point about putting money in treasuries, and, and it's a guaranteed risk-free rate, and it's a good rate, finally, to your point, okay? How do you think about the opportunity cost about parking cash for too long and something like that? How do you talk to everyday Americans who are looking for alpha every once in a while? Yeah, so listen, you have people who, that the object of money is for you to be secure. Mm -hmm. It doesn't do you any good to put money in the stock market if all of a sudden you get afraid and you sell at the wrong time, you buy at the wrong time. So for those people who don't have the stomach for the stock market, treasuries. Mm -hmm. However, for those people who want to take advantage of what I think is a lifetime opportunity in a long time, because what all of this has done, these high interest rates, have forced people, as you know, out of the stock market into bonds. Some of these stocks, how do you pass them up? I mean, you have to go into them. Now, do you go into them with everything that you have? No. Do you dollar cost average into them and take advantage of days like the past? Yes. And I think you'll be making a big mistake if you park your money forever in bonds. All right, so Susie, I got to ask you. I, I, as I said, as she said, we think of you almost like a fast money trader. Um, what is it that you're looking? What's in your portfolio? What's in your wallet? So many things. <laughs> a lot of stocks yeah. are there, but my one sad thing that happened was Pioneer PXD got bought out, or we'll see if it goes through to buy Exxon, and that was my big dividend player because I felt solid with that company. It was a nice dividend. You had growth. They were down. They went from 280 all the way down to 188. How could you not buy it? And now here it is, and it's being taken away. And I don't love Exxon as much as Pioneer. So we'll just see how that plays out. However, if I'm not looking for a dividend, I'm looking for growth. I love Amazon. I love Shopify. I love Broadcom. I love Microsoft, which I did yesterday. Right? I love 
some of these stocks that you just have to be a part of. That's all. Do you Palantir? We were just talking about Microsoft, you know, because they reported earnings after the belt. Good earnings reports so far, good conference call so far. The stock is popping. All of these guys said that they would prefer Alphabet over Microsoft because of the valuation. How do you look at, you said these are stocks you want to be a part of for the long term versus the valuation it's at today? Well, they're the traders. What do I know? But I don't like Alphabet, <laughs> right? Just personally, for some reason, I don't know why. I don't know why it's this inner feeling that they're there, that, but it, they feel old to me. They just feel old, like, is it always going to be their search, their this? So I like Microsoft. I like how they were involved a long time ago with AI. Who knows where they're going to go from here? But I like that. So I would do Microsoft over Alphabet. I have to mm-hmm. ask you, Susie, what is the return on your portfolio? Negative 20%. No. <laughs> so it depends. I have some serious yeah. losers at this point. However, I don't care because I don't want to buy a stock on dollar cost averaging it into it and hope it goes up. I want to buy a stock and I hope it goes down and I hope it goes further down and down so I can accumulate more. Palantir is a perfect one. I started at seven, went all the way up, and I'm like, don't go up, don't go up. And now I have to wait till she comes back down again, right? But so I don't have a problem when I bought a stock and I'm down with it because I buy it long term. I'm not a trader with it. Yeah. That's a great attitude. You're you're a winner either way. Either way, (laughs) I will win. Patience Mm -hmm. and the right picks over the long run, you will win. Susie, thank you. Stop by anytime. You're always welcome here. All right. (laughs) Susie Orman. Well, we have been dialed into the Alphabet and Microsoft conference calls. We'll go back to Gene Munster to get the details on those two names when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Microsoft is holding on to its gains after hours of 4.6%. Gene Munster has been listening to that earnings call. Uh, Gene, no guidance so far. I suspect that's going to happen at 6.01 or so. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, we're probably crossing it any minute now. We're going to get that guidance. But let me fill you in, uh, Mel, on what's happened so far. CFO Amy Hood has highlighted three takeaways. First is that their Azure upside was based on AI engagement, that she said it as plain as day. Second is the co-pilots that's going to be added to Office uh, that has been in beta with enterprises. It goes live on November 1st, where they're going to start to charge. We talked about that earlier. That's the $30 a month per user available for enterprises this quarter. Uh, they say that that is uh, the feedback has been people can't live without it. Those customers uh, cannot live without it. And last is there was commentary, a quick comment related to infrastructure spend, that they'll be increasing that to meet a growing demand. It's funny to me how Google says that and shares fade in the aftermarket and Microsoft says it and shares don't budge. I think the reason is that investors feel more confident that that spending is going to translate to revenue growth. All right, Gene, thank you. Gene Munster, up next, Final Trades. Let's go around the horn. Julie Beal. I like Meta here. You know, the read through from Google is encouraging, and I'm really curious to hear the Zuck talk about threads versus Twitter. That's the cage match that really matters. Bonowin. Yeah, the reverse pivot on EVs is really concerning for me. I'm, I'm with Karen here. I'm a better fader of GM. Karen. Yeah, well, I'm going home with the girl that brought me. 
Google. If you went home long, which I did, same as Biden. Even though Susie Orman does not want She doesn't like want it. Food. She might be right. She doesn't, she doesn't like want it. it. She just doesn't like it. Dan. Uh, consumer staples. That Coke number was kind of interesting, and the expectations were low. Consumer staples XLP looks interesting to me. Thank you for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that... That's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric CDX Type S. Give up. Order now at Acura.com.